0: Yeah. Welcome to Mission View Church. Uh, this is your first time here, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad you joined us for worship this morning. Um, we are in the book of Mark. Let's so go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 8. But um, as you're turning there, I wanted to um, introduce you to one of our new pastors here on staff. Yeah, this is... Most of you probably know Dave, you've either met him in the parking lot as he's directing traffic or he's handed you a bulletin or he's answered questions at the welcome center or he's shown up at your house and delivered a gift bag in the middle of the week um, on your doorstep and maybe your goat chased him back to his car. That may be you, that might not be you, but that did happen, true story. But um, I can remember when I first moved here a little uh, four years ago, five, somewhere around there. A few years ago, um, one of the first meetings I had was with a couple that said they really needed to meet with me. And being a new pastor, you know, in my first couple weeks, that's not the meeting you really want to have usually. Um, I was a little concerned, but uh, Dave and Sue showed up to my office and they said, hey, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, Is there anything we can do to help? Is there anything we can do to serve? In fact, we have a really neat idea. We think that first impressions is really important. We think that as people come through the doors, that, that that they see a smiling face and get a handshake and have uh, questions answered and different things, that that's really, really, really important for the church because people are coming and wondering all these things. And it's hard to come to a church for the first time. And they started our First Impressions ministry. It's been an amazing... Yes, praise the Lord for that. It's been an amazing thing. And just over the years, Dave and his wife Sue have served faithfully each week in... As, as we've been growing as a church, I don't know if you've recognized that or not, but we're well over 500 people a weekend now, which is crazy, way up um, from last year at this time, like two. You guys are excited this morning, man. Last year, you know, we averaged, I think we were around 270 people um, each week, so we've almost doubled in size. So we've really looked at reorganizing the staff and even adding staff and doing different things. So... Um, Seeing Dave's giftedness and what he's done, uh, we knew that we needed somebody to come on and be a care uh, and connections pastor. And as we wrote the job description, we didn't have anybody in mind. We were just working on what Mission View needs for this time. And uh, as we finished the job description and looked at it, uh, God had already brought Dave to us. And um, we're just really thankful that he's agreed to come on part-time as our Care and Connections pastor. And I just want to share just really quickly with you this morning. Like, when we talked that first time, you were really excited. And we were searching it out. I gave you the job description to pray over that. You guys took some time to pray over that. What most excited you about, like, coming on staff and being a Care and Connections pastor here at Mission View? Well, seriously, it was just being able to work with you. Oh, yeah. yeah, Yeah. (laughs) No, no. No, it's (laughs) Sue and I, my wife and I feel that, our church family is just amazing we're just this is an amazing group of people and it's church family it's family and one way or another family serves family and if I can come along and this is who I am this is what God has put on my heart is to care for people and if I can help serve you guys that that really is my goal, and, and I'm excited to do that. I just want to be a part of that. I I love our team here. Um, Sue and I helped plant Mission View nine years ago, and uh, we're just we're so happy to be a part of this. Yeah. Could we uh, just take a moment and pray over Dave as we brought him on staff? Josh, Randy, you guys want to come up and pray with is there Any of the other elders here? I, I'm sure. I think uh, there's Bill. Cool. Um, and Congregation Mission View Church, would you guys pray with us as well as we pray for Dave and Sue as they're coming on here? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for bringing Dave here and uh, Sue. Uh, we thank you for um, the compassion and mercy and grace that you've put on their hearts. God, that they, they look at people and they don't see just another face, but they see um, a soul someone that you love and that you care about and and that love your love for them moves them to love others and we just thank you uh for doing that kind of work in them as you put dave to your work father we pray that you would protect him that you protect his marriage that uh, you would give him eyes to see and ears to hear that you would strengthen him encourage him and give him all that he needs to serve you father we just recognize this calling you've placed upon him and we pray That uh, his ministry here would be fruitful because it is done through you, Father, and that you're working through. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And we give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Hey, Jason, thanks for coming out, man. You all the elders that are sitting everywhere? Somebody's probably in the balcony too. I don't know. So exciting. Really, really exciting times. Um, as we're growing. And uh, there's going to be lots of changes as we continue to grow too. So be looking out for those things. Well, we've been going through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and this is kind of a, a firsthand account of Jesus's life. It's been an amazing study. I've really, really loved going through the book of Mark. And I'm just going to be honest with you real quick. I love all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I try and work in gospel stuff almost into every sermon. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not, but we've actually gone through the entire Gospel of Matthew, and I've done it kind of under the radar. So we've actually worked our way through the entire Gospel of Matthew over the last four years, and now we're, almost, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and I'm not doing that kind of under the radar. We're just going through it verse by verse, and it's been really powerful. But I want to be honest with you. Like, the, the Gospel of Mark is one of those Gospels that, it, to me, just— uh, I don't know, as I read it, it it's got all of these accounts and it just goes from like account to account of Jesus's life and these different things that he did. And, and I, I enjoyed that, but you know, some of my favorite ones, like Matthew and John, it's kind of this touchy-feely, warm idea of who Jesus is. And for me, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a creative or something. I just, I really like that touchy-feely, warm, gracious Jesus. And Mark is just like, we're gonna do this. And Jesus did this. And then he went and did this. And I was like, Lord, do you really want me to preach through the gospel, Mark? I mean, I know it's a gospel and everything, but couldn't we do John? I really went to debate God with this, right? I was like, Lord, maybe we should do John first. Let me preach through John first, and then we can work our way through Mark. And I, I had this whole, you know, never do that with the Lord, okay? I'm just going to lay that out front, right? You know, you just do what he tells you to do, you know, because we ended up at a pastor's retreat, and we were talking through the, um, um, which Gospels we should do, and, and I was, you know, they put me in my place, and they said, oh, you, the Lord's telling us to do this, let's do this. And you know what? It has been phenomenal. Uh, As we've been going through this, it is so powerful to see, you know, through Mark's eyes, this account of of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. As I've gone through this, all the gospels lift Jesus up high, right? All of them do that. But man, there's just been something about how Mark is just over and over again driving home that Jesus is no ordinary guy. He's not just this guy walking down the street. He is... God in the flesh and all of these things that he's done, these supernatural accounts in his life, these miracles and these the way he has dealt with the Pharisees and the way he's dealt with people has been awesome. I just love how Mark has lifted Jesus up and shown us who he really is. And here in Mark 8, verses 27 through 33, we finally get to that precipice of where, you know, the disciples are looking at Jesus and Jesus has been proclaiming his divinity with his life and with his words over this whole time. And finally, we get to this point where Peter just out and says it. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the long awaited one, the chosen one who's been prophesied about for hundreds upon hundreds of years. You're the one who's come to make humanity right in god's eyes that all who would turn to you jesus christ the messiah put their trust and faith in you could be brought back into right relationship with their creator he says it just straight out but in true peter fashion it goes south really quick and we we have seen this over and over again right as we've gone through this we've seen how We get a little bit of truth. Peter gets a little bit of truth. We get a little bit of truth, and then we mess it up. Is that just me, or does anybody anybody come along with this? We're going to see a real account of the humanity of Peter and the disciples, and quite honestly, us, as we struggle to walk out this Christian journey, right, that we call Christianity. I just love what we're about to read in God's word, this truth for us today. Let's pray before we read his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one who came to make a way for us, that he bore our sins on the cross. He took the death we deserved and three days later defeated death and sin for us. And now, whosoever would come and put their trust and faith in Him, and His life, His perfection, God, they can have salvation through Him. A right relationship with You, God, our Father. We just thank You for that. God, I pray You would make that real to us today. Make that real. Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Start out here in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples. Now, this is great. You just picture this with me, if you will. They're walking, you know, they're just along the trail, heading to Philippi. And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? They're just walking and talking, having a good time. A part of me is just really jealous, right? As you read these stories, these accounts in Jesus' life, I'm like, wouldn't it have been cool to walk with Jesus? I mean, you're sitting there, you know, or you're just walking there, walking along. Hey, who do people say that I am? Oh man, right? You know, here it comes. This is Jesus has been preaching, he has been teaching, he's been doing all these miracles and all of these things, and he's just, you know, on the walk. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, "Oh, John the Baptist." And others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So here you have all of these different ideas that people had about who this Jesus of Nazareth really was, right? He's just seems like an ordinary guy. There's nothing that stands out about his looks or anything else, but he walks and talks with such power. I mean, it's undeniable. There is something different about this guy. Who is he? Elijah back from the dead. One of the prophets come back to life. Who is he? And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Oh, man, he gets it personal, right? Jesus always oh, getting to the heart of the matter, man. He always takes it that one step further. Who do you say that I am? And here it is, man. This is like, this is the, turn, the turning the corner for the disciples, right? Peter, Peter just says it. You are the Christ, You want to highlight that? You want to circle that and underline? Put a star beside it. You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them, this is Jesus, to tell no one about him. Now, the first thing I I want us to really mull over, to really think about, and it's the first filling in your notes today, is this. Who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus is? the most important question that you will ever have presented to you, the most life-changing answer that you will give in your entire life is the answer to this question. Who do you say Jesus is? What we believe about God is the most important belief we will ever have or hold to for our entire existence. We talked last week about the religious leaders denying who Jesus was and the disciples not truly understanding who Jesus was. And this begs the question, who do we say that Jesus is? Now, it's easy to give the quick answer, well, Jesus is God. He's the God-man, truly God and truly man. He came as the God-man. But in reality... We answer this question with the way that we live out our lives every day. You follow me on that? We answer this question with the way that we live out our lives each and every day. The decisions we make and the way we live reveals our belief about God. It reveals our belief about who Jesus is. What we do, well, we do what we do because of what we truly believe. You see, behind every sin is a misguided, distorted, or incomplete belief about God. Behind every sin is a misguided, distorted, or incomplete belief about God. The world And false teachers and bad past experiences are all informing what we believe about God, who he is, how he loves me. Does he love me? Does he love us? And this is what the disciples were working through as well. They were told that the Messiah would come and defeat Rome and all their enemies and would be pushed aside that this Messiah, whoever it may be, would come and set up shop and make all the wrong things, right? But God had bigger and better plans that went far beyond what the Jewish people thought would happen. Now, we do what we do because of what we believe. Our beliefs determine our actions, and it is coming to grips with these distorted beliefs that is the beginning of sanctification, the beginning of... Of change. This is this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in the heart and the life of every believer. The Spirit brings conviction of sin that leads us to repentance, and God grants us repentance through the work of the Spirit, and the Spirit is showing us where we are not living out our beliefs. Or what the Bible teaches us as truth or living out the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus, the truth about who we are in Christ, the truth about what God's word says. This process, this sanctification, this change, this is the journey of Christianity that God has called all of us to. The Spirit of God lives in us and our old man or the flesh is at war with the Spirit that lives within us. And this battle's been raging on 24-7 since we've been given our lives to Christ and He calls us to die. Our part in this battle is to die. To kill the flesh that is warring against the Spirit we are saints and we are becoming saints. We are sanctified and we are being sanctified. We live in this holy tension and God is at work in this holy tension for our completion. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion and he will bring it to completion. And this sanctifying work this changing work that god is doing through his holy spirit is this this battle this sin that that exists inside of us in that tension that we have we want to live out the beliefs that we have about god that he's all powerful all knowing loving and compassionate and walking with us and and we trust in him fully right that we trust that we want to live that out but i still worry but I still struggle when I look out at the world and see the mess that's there, or I look at my life and see the mess that's there. I'm just like, God, I know you're all powerful, I think. I know you're all loving, I hope. Right? I, I mean, we there's this tension and this struggle that we have. And it really, the, the, the way that we walk this battle out and live this battle out is that we die. We lay down these assumed wrong beliefs, distorted views, misguided views of what we think God is. And we go to his word and believe what it says, even when the things around me and the things impressing upon me don't always match up. I know that God loves me. But did I really, did he really, is it really loving that, I lost my dad at a young age? God, I know you love me, but is it really loving that I, I lost my job? God, I know you love me, but my spouse is stepping out on me? How do we, how do we work through that? How do we, how do we survive through that? Friends, we are desperate for a fresh and new revelation of who God is. It it is not, this journey of Christianity is not this, this one time quick revelation that Jesus is God and He loves us and He's with us. It is the continued revelation of God loving us and walking with us. And that's what we're desperate for. That's what that's what Peter recognizes you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. When he says that, he says, you hold all things in your hand. You created me and formed me in my mother's womb. You know my pain. You know my suffering. And you're with me through it all. Who do you say he is? Who do you believe that he is? The way we live our lives answer that question. And all of us are growing in that. That holy tension, that struggle, that flesh that still lives in us and his spirit that lives in us. Friends, we're at war. We're a spiritual war. But we know the one who's won it for us. Amen? Look at verse 31. This is so good. Jesus seeing this opportunity, this, this revelation to Peter and the disciples, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man, this is a word that, that he used that, to describe himself, Jesus, the Son of Man. It's actually in the Aramaic, and I won't get into all that, but it's a really long study. It's really good, though. Side note. Son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Let me just read that again. So he began to teach, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Their second filling is this, Jesus is our suffering Savior. Two remarkable things about this teaching that Jesus gives. The first remarkable thing is that Jesus foretells and prophesies his death. Not just his death, but what would happen? He's going to be rejected. He's going to suffer many things. But he, I don't know, have you guys met anybody that's prophesied or foretold their death? No. The second most remarkable thing, he predicts his resurrection. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we would sit here and listen to this and be in shock and be in awe that this guy is prophesying his own death. Wow. But then he prophesies his resurrection. Now, we have the benefit, right? We have the benefit of being on this side of time, right? Like we look back, we have the accounts in Jesus's life. We have the 500 eyewitness eyewitness accounts of his resurrection. We look back at this and like, yes, woohoo, this is great. But the disciples are sitting here going, Wait, what? That's not what we were told. That's not what we were hoping for. You're saying suffering. Uh, uh, whoop, hold up. What, what's going on here? Jesus says that he will suffer, be rejected, be killed at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the scribes. These were the religious teachers, the, the people that everyone in the Jewish community looked up to and respected and went to for teaching. These were the guys I mean, these were this was it. And he's going to be rejected by these? What? To so suffer many things from these guys? What? These were the religious leaders and teachers of the law. Jesus is pointing out that grace is directly opposed to the old traditions, practices, and laws that they believed would save them. Jesus says, You can't save yourselves. Only I, only Jesus can save you. We have thousands of years of human weakness and inability to follow the law that points us to Christ. We need something outside of ourselves to save ourselves. We all need Jesus. That's what he's pointing to. That's what he's prophesying. It's not just his death and resurrection. But he's pointing that the Messiah, the Christ, is the only one who can save. He's the only one. Before Jesus came, all were under the law and we were all crushed by it. 613 laws or rules that if broken required death. In fact, Jesus said if you messed up even one of the laws or rules, it was as if you had broken all of them. And then he goes even a step further and he says things like this. You have heard it said, do not murder. Okay, I'm good on that one. Great. For good, right? Then he says, but I tell you, If you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Wait, what? I was doing good. I wasn't a murderer, but now you're calling me a murderer? Uh, Everybody gets mad at some point with somebody. I mean, some of you were driving here and got mad at the guy who cut you off in traffic. It's okay. We can confess this is church. Might have been me who cut you off. I don't know. No. we, We all have that. Jesus, well, you have heard it said... Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Wait, what? Are you kidding me? The law never was meant to show us how awesome we are. The law was meant to reveal our desperate need for a savior. And these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees had used it to puff themselves up and build themselves up to something that it was never meant to be. Oh, we see that and you're just like, oh, those Pharisees, I tell you what. If I was there, I'd put them in their place. Those scribes, man, chief priests, Sadducees. But then we do the same stinking thing. I don't know know about you, but uh, like I do something good in my life and I say, man, I'm good. I'm just being honest, right? Have you been there? Lord, help us. And Michael, this is why God's given us golf. <laughs> golf analogy coming. Ladies, you can sign on or whatever. Last week, we play of a golf league at Mission View Church. Last week, I played the best I'd played all season. I was so excited. Shot of 38. I was like, "Yes, finally. I'm back, baby. I'm back. This past Wednesday, it looked like I had never picked up a golf club before in my life. I couldn't hit the ball. I'm duffing it left. I'm duffing it right. I'm three-putting every green. It was the worst I had played all year. And that's what pride does, man. That's what pride does. It just sets us up for a massive failure, a massive fall, Did you know that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? I don't know if you know this or not, but you want God on your side. You don't want to be an enemy of God. You don't want to be in opposition to God. So we need to be humble. But the Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests had used the law to build themselves up and make something much of themselves. And then they lorded it over God's people. Here's what you have to be. Here's what you have to do. Legalism just came in. Look at me. Now you be like me. And Jesus comes in and he says, no. I love you. I've died for you. Come to me. All who are weak and weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is grace because Jesus has come. He has grace for you. He doesn't say, live this law, be perfect. He says, I am perfect. Come, put your trust in my perfection. And then I'll work my perfection in and through your life. I'm not only gonna do it for you, I'm gonna do it in you. I'm not just going to die on the cross for you. I'm gonna go to heaven, send you my spirit to live in you and the spirit of God will change you. That's that He who started that good work in you brings it to completion. Christianity, the only religion that has the claim, God sets a standard, God meets the standard, God works the standard in us. In Christianity, we are the beneficiary, period. God does it all and God gets all the glory and we worship him and enjoy him and glorify him in this life and in the life to come. All because Jesus is our suffering Savior. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that good? Isn't that good to know that Jesus has done it all? He's completed it. It's finished. You, we are saints. We're sanctified. But what do we do? What I mean, that's great. That's awesome. But what do we do now, right? Because I, I hear it, I read it, and then I look at my life and it doesn't line up with that. Well, how do we? We should feel the weight of guilt and shame for our sin. But only as long as it takes us to look at the cross. You follow me on that? We should feel the weight of guilt and shame for our sin, but only as long as it takes us to look at the cross. As soon as our eyes reach the cross of our Savior Jesus, as soon as our eyes reach the cross, the joy of our salvation and the peace that comes from forgiveness, the fulfillment, encouragement, and motivation towards righteousness overwhelms us. We do feel the weight and guilt Shame of sin, but only as long as it takes us to look to the cross. Jesus has come. Grace has come. He has suffered. He was rejected. He was killed on the cross. He rose from the grave. And after three days, he's, he's risen for us. So now we have forgiveness of all our sins, every single one of them, past, present, and future. So we grieve our sins deeply, but we rejoice in our Savior ultimately. And I think that's where we miss the boat. A lot of us, and all of us at times, struggle by the weight and the guilt and the shame of our sin, right? We go to the cross, we see Christ crucified for us, and we're like, oh, oh, this is just weighing me down. I can't get past this. Oh, here I am again. Here I am again. Here I am again. Here I am again for the five millionth time. And I want you to hear this. You are forgiven. That weight is lifted. That is grace. Now, there might be some of you here who have not put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. His perfect life and the death that he died for our sin. He took all of our sin when he was on the cross. And then he took the death that you and I deserved, us sinners deserved. He died a sinner's death, even though he had never sinned in thought or deed. And three days later, he rose from the grave He defeated death. He defeated sin for you and me. And now all who put their trust in him will live forever with him in paradise for all eternity. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus right now. You can have that freedom. You can have that grace. It's nothing you can earn. It's nothing we deserve. It is free. It is amazing. And it changes our lives. That is the good news of jesus we grieve our sins deeply but we rejoice in our savior ultimately amen check out verses 32 and 33 it's my favorite part it's my favorite part fast your seatbelts and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him okay good laughs that's stopping there on purpose hey who do you say that i am peter you're god you're the messiah You're the creator of all things. All of the entire Old Testament speaks of you, your power, your might, your sovereignty, your majesty, your glory. You are God, the Christ. Three verses later. And Peter took Jesus, God, the creator, the sustainer of all life aside and began to rebuke him. Let's just acknowledge rebuking God's a bad idea, right? <laughs> but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Peter goes from hero to zero real quick. You're God. He says what everybody, all the disciples, everybody around was thinking. Peter's the only one who had the guts to say it out loud. You're the Christ. And then he takes the God aside and starts to rebuke him and gets called Satan. Okay, great. And here's why. Jesus says, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God. Hmm. Man, I've got that one underlined. but on the things of man. You see, we have to set our minds on the things of God. And this is your fill-in in number three. Not on the things of man. Huge, huge key in our Christian journey. Set your mind on the things of God, not on the things of man. Peter goes from hero to zero in record time. He picked team Jesus. He said out loud what everyone else was thinking, but not brave enough to say. He called Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one. And then Jesus says, I'm going to be rejected and suffer and die. What? Peter freaks out. He picked team Jesus. And now Jesus is going down. So he begins to rebuke the guy he just called the Messiah, God in the flesh. Peter's trying to rebuke God. We're just shaking our heads, right? The things of man never take into account the big picture the God-sized picture, the eternal consequences. Man only thinks within the limited, finite weakness of our humanness and our human limitations. Peter forgets Jesus is the Messiah as soon as he proclaims Jesus as Messiah. Are you following me there? Because if he really believed Jesus was the Messiah, he wouldn't rebuke the Messiah, right? Mm. Peter only rebukes Jesus because he forgets his own limitations. He forgets his place. Don't blame him. In fact, I find myself in the same boat over and over again. Jesus, take the wheel, but make sure you take a left at the next road. Go north on I-90 and get off at Easy Life Lane and stop at Retirement Court. Because that's my plan. You can drive as long as you go my way. As soon as God varies from our direction, my vision, my dreams and ideas, we take the wheel back and in so doing proclaim ourselves, Lord of our lives, and Jesus as just another prophet, Elijah back from the dead. Not lord and savior creator god we may not come right out and say it but we come right out and act it and live it god forgive us god forgive it let's just pray right now dearly father forgive us for this all of us have done this from time to time and in so doing we are not acknowledging you as king and creator Make ourselves up as little God, little G, God, and mess everything up. Forgive us, God. Help us to see you for who you are and live out who you are. We confess and we repent in Jesus' name. Amen. The band thinks I'm done, but I was just praying for the point. That's okay. (laughs) I love you guys, and I'm glad you're here. Right? Sorry, I just got real caught up in the point, Jesse. Are these guys awesome or what? I'm so thankful. You know, many of you probably don't know this, but for the first 20, 25 years of ministry life, I was a worship leader at different churches all over the place. And I'm just so thankful. Like in my prayer times, as the Lord was leading me to be a lead pastor and not lead worship as much anymore, I was like, Lord, you got to get me out of church where the musicians are really good. (laughs) Because I'm a musician. I'm real picky. Just real picky. And I'm just so thankful that God has Jesse and Jordan Dave, all the, everybody up here is just so thankful they're using their gifts. But it begins with humility. That's where it begins. This, how do we avoid Peter syndrome? How do we avoid this Peter syndrome that we're looking at and witnessing right here? It begins with true humility, the kind of humility that comes from recognizing who Jesus truly is and being willing to give your life for Him. This is it. If Jesus is God, if he truly is, if he really rose from the dead, if he really conquered death and sin, if he is all of these things, are you willing to give your life for him? That's where it comes down to. Here's the crazy thing. The disciples, the apostles, they saw who Jesus was. They acknowledged who Jesus was. And every single one of the apostles minus one was killed for it. These guys went from rebuking Jesus, Peter, to being crucified upside down because he didn't feel being crucified right side up. He was worthy of because that's how his Savior died. God's not calling you to easy life lane. Christianity isn't this, woo rainbows and unicorns life. It is giving your life away because your Creator gave His life away for you. Don't be fooled. This life isn't all the fun and easy and great stuff. It is real life. It is the same life that you live, but it is only different here. The creator of the universe, his spirit lives inside of you and is walking with you through the mess, walking with you through the problems, empowering you to change and doing all the work inside of you. You are not alone. Amen? That's the good news of Christ in our lives. The creator of the universe, the guy who sits outside of time, right? He sits outside of time. Is looking down. He's all powerful, all knowing. That's who's with you. Isn't that good to know? He's not up there going, Oh no, what do I do? Matt's done it again. All right? Oh myself. No. He knows it all. You'll catch that on the way home. He knows it all. And he's the one who's working with us, who's doing it all. What time is it? 1 10? Okay. All right, let's do the last song. <laughs> I thought I was going to go somewhere, didn't you? I did too, but you know. I'm just being led by the Spirit. So, yeah, when we stand, we'll sing our closing song.